0: Hello, Duke fans, and welcome to episode 347 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. It is Thursday afternoon, October 14th, 2021. Countdown to Craziness is tomorrow night at Cameron Indoor Stadium, so we need to talk a little bit about some of the guys who will and will not be playing in that event. We have a few other Duke news topics to cover. We will spend a couple minutes on Kyrie Irving at the end, so if you are here just for our commentary on Kyrie Irving, fine, we'll do that too. I am your host. I am Sam Klein. I am coming to you, as I often do, from Boston at home. I am joined, as always, by Jason Evans and Donald Wine. Donald, it appears, is at home in Washington, D.C. Donald, you have been doing a bit of traveling for U.S. Men's National Team. How you doing, sir?
1: Great. Um, I I'm back. Uh, it's been nine days, but sandwiched in the middle of this was a special trip that I took to our beloved Duke University, uh, because a- as a lot of you out there know, I was the headline monitor back when I was in school. Uh, Jason also was the first headline monitor yeah, at Duke yeah. University. Wait, um, I
2: was the first. I invented line monitoring. <laughs> How yeah, come I wasn't he was at the, the first? <laughs> I told you about it. So I don't know if you, you could, uh, I think
1: you said you couldn't make it for some reason, but yeah, I couldn't make it. It was a very hastily put together last minute reunion for basically what it started off was. It was going to be a reunion for the line monitors. It turned into basically a couple of the old line monitors and headline monitors came back to kind of give some advice to the new guys uh and gals who are going to be doing it this year. Given that if we think about it, half of the campus have not been in Cameron uh, because of COVID. So, we kind of talked about that. We got to see a Duke basketball practice. We will talk a little bit about that practice uh, in the first few minutes of this show. And then Coach K got to speak with us uh, it, uh, afterwards. It was a great, great time. I was able to impart some wisdom. So to Cameron and Caroline, the two headline monitors for this year, best of luck for, from all of us. And, of course, you have two uh, old, older, uh, wiser uh, headline monitors that can be there for advice for you throughout the season.
2: Wait, 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 a couple of things. So first of all, wait, did you just say that one of the headline on- monitors is named Cameron?
1: Her name is Cameron. Yes, that is right. Beautiful. I believe her parents
2: oh. both went to Duke. Yeah. So I think that was very appropriate for a headline monitor name. Absolutely perfection. And then I also, Donald, I, we have to highlight the fact, I hadn't even thought about it until you said it, half the students at Duke have never been in Cameron for a game. It's crazy to even think yes. about that.
1: Yeah. And three quarters haven't had a full season because of the COVID. Because if you think about uh, we've missed this one season, you have the incoming freshmen, the juniors who are on campus, really their season was cut short because of COVID. So uh, we have literally a huge flock of the fan base who probably have not experienced a full Cameron season the way it's intended. And that was the purpose for all this. We're going to have more uh, line monitor reunions. So Jason, don't you worry. You will be invited to all those as well. Thank you. Uh, but this was a nice little start, and I appreciate uh, Duke Duke basketball and Debbie and all those all those people down there uh, for for inviting me and having me there.
0: Jason Evans is also here, and he's already introduced himself. So <laughs> Hi. uh, it, but Jason. Before I let you do the intro, I need to react to uh, the the revelation that half the Duke students won't have like haven't been to a game in Cameron. This is like my freshman year when Duke beat Northwestern on the road in football. And it was the first time that half the Duke student body had seen the Duke football team win a game. So is that, wow. Know, that, <laughs> that happened too. When I was in college. That was a, that was a bummer. We, uh, I, I don't know if, I don't know if, if Duke fans remember this, that that night uh, the Duke student body was so excited that we all went to the, to an empty Wallace Wade stadium, removed one of the goalposts and then walked it to the chapel, um, which is not exactly close. And, and there's not really a direct way to get there because the the easiest way to walk from Wallace Wade Stadium to the chapel is through a bunch of very small archways that uh, do not fit a goalpost. So that was <laughs> that was a whole endeavor. Jason, anything, Sam, Sam that- anything to add in introduction before we talk about actual news?
2: No, no, I'm boring. I'm here in Atlanta. I'm just doing my thing, uh, it, whatever. But I, I, on the goalposts, that's the kind of thing where you start doing it. Everyone's like, yeah, yeah. They're all excited and stuff. And like halfway through, you're like, why are we still doing this? What is going on?
0: <laughs> I mean, we took it around the old dorm, so it, so it went into the like walkway between Fuqua Quad and Cohan Quad, which is not like it's a long way uh, and over <laughs> a lot of dirt, and and I think even by the time we got the thing out of the stadium, like up the uh, up the horseshoe. We were like, "This is dumb," but we have to keep going. There's nothing. There's nothing to stop us now, and there was no one. No, you know, there were no like university staff to be like, "Hold on, what are we doing?" So that was a weird night. Anyway, we have to talk about uh, a few news items. That that was a rough transition. I'm sorry about that. The first, unfortunately, is is bad news.
2: Yes, speaking of things that got broken at Duke. (laughs)
0: Speaking of things that got broken at Duke this week, there we go. See, Jason should have been hosting the whole time. Speaking of things that got broken this week, our top story, unfortunately, is the news out of Durham that A.J. Griffin, who was slated to be uh, one of the star freshmen on this team and uh, presumably the, the starting small forward for this year's Duke men's basketball team, is out with a sprained knee. There's not a lot of detail yet. There were sort of initial reports about it, it's a sprain, it's a dislocation. Uh, we are not here to to parse the differences between what is a knee sprain, what is a knee dislocation, what is a knee tear. Uh, I think all of us have been through have been through various ligament damage, and we know that it is a spectrum. There is not a a definitive. Uh, you have sprained your knee, therefore you are out for this many weeks and cannot play basketball. All of that sort of projection is fluid. So the initially. The reports were that A.J. Griffin would be out maybe four to six weeks. Now, Duke men's basketball is saying no specific timeline for return. They're still evaluating the injury. It may just be a rehab thing. It doesn't sound like he's going to have surgery, but assuming that he is going to be out at least for the beginning of the season, Jason, I will start with you. What is your reaction to A.J. Griffin potentially being out here? What does it mean for Duke and what does it mean for him?
2: Well, so so just to clarify, at, at ACC Media Day this week, Coach K spoke about it and said that AJ's off crutches. He's doing well. He still has a lot of therapy he needs to, to get on the knee, um, but that it's just a matter of rehab. There's nothing surgical that's going to go on here. They're not, they're not like bracing it in some big kind of ways. Uh, so that's all great to hear. That's really important to hear. My concern probably is with AJ's mental state. AJ Griffin has gone through a series of injuries now. Now, I, a lot of folks out there are kind of equating this to Harry Giles. I, I want to be very clear. None of what AJ Griffin has experienced is anywhere close to the injuries, the knee injuries to both knees that Harry Giles experienced that that probably robbed Harry Giles of, of being a near all-star level NBA player, Harry Giles, everyone said was far and away the best player in high school basketball and, and never even came close to living up to what he could have been because of these injuries. Uh, I don't think for a moment that what AJ Griffin has is anywhere close to that kind of situation, but this is a guy who has played very, very little basketball in the past 18 plus months, two years at this point, because of injury, because of COVID and. We'd already heard some kind of rumblings and stuff that, that he was a little gun shy at practice even before this injury. That you know, he, getting back to game speed and trusting his body were things that AJ was struggling with a little bit. And, and we spoke to folks in the past couple of weeks. We we mentioned to all of you that at the scrimmage footage that we've been seeing, AJ Griffin has not been a starter. Everyone expected. It was like a given almost that A.J. Griffin was going to be a starter, and he has not been a starter. Part of that is because Trevor Keels has apparently been great in practice, and Donald's going to be able to talk more about that, I think. But A.J. Griffin has not been starting, and and what we've heard is that some of it is because of A.J. Griffin and his concerns about injuries, and then then we get this news that he has been injured again. Uh, So my big concern, the thing I'm hoping for is that A.J. Griffin is able to get out of his head that he is fragile. And that he's able to come back and impact games the way we know he can from just watching him play, even as a sophomore and as a junior. Um, because I want this guy to have a long, flourishing NBA career like his father did. And uh, he's absolutely got the physical gifts, he's got the skill to have it happen. And I just hope his head doesn't get in the way. And there's no way to know, until, there's no way for him to know until he gets out there and actually does it. Donald, who do you
0: think has to step up most in A.J. Griffin's absence uh, if he is going to miss significant time this year?
1: Well, that's an interesting question. And, and I was, as, as Jason mentioned, this was the practice that I was at. And and before I get to answer your question, Sam, let me break down a little bit of what I can from that practice. The parts about him being gun-shy, and I've, I've heard those entering this practice, I didn't see that through this practice with him. He seemed like he was energetic. He, you know, there's some times where you're, you're kind of getting lost in, in overthinking things or overanalyzing things, but he was doing just fine until this happened. And uh, one thing that a lot of people out there who have experienced a major injury of any kind know that if you re-injure that same area, you kind of get, you kind of know what it is, right? And sometimes you react to what you think is a similar injury, that is what happened here. It, I mean, he was carried off the court, and everyone feared the worst because it looked like it was a very bad injury. But hopefully, and when the news came out about what it was, it was a sigh of relief because it probably was him saying, oh, man, I did this again, and my body failed me again. And at the same time, it wasn't as bad as initially feared. So I'm thankful for that. And I think when it comes for, to A.J. Griffin, I think – that is going to be the part that he needs to get over, as Jason mentioned, that sort of like knowing that, hey, if I jump off of this knee, it'll be there to catch me when I come back down, like that sort of thing. And that's a very thing that that takes varying degrees of time for people. Some people, they snap out of it and they're fine. Some people, they don't. When it comes to who's going to replace them, I think that's an interesting question because for a lot of this practice um, and a lot of other practices that we've heard about, A.J. Griffin was not in that starting five. It was Trevor Keels and and Jeremy Roach kind of being the backcourt along with Wendell Moore, uh, Mark Williams, and Paulo Bancaro in the frontcourt. So we don't have all the pieces together. Like, you know, Joey Baker, who we'll talk about a little bit, is not practicing as much. Coach K has indicated that in previous press conferences just for nagging injuries that he wants to have healed before the season. So I think when it comes to A.J. Griffin, I think it's going to be Wendell Moore who's going to be able to step up and and be that guy who can provide the scoring because that's what we're talking about here. AJ Griffin is, it was brought in here to be a scorer. He can shoot from outside. He can do a lot on offense and he's physically gifted enough to be able to be physically strong on the inside and outside. Wendell Moore is probably the closest compliment to that.
0: I like that you started with Wendell Moore. I think there's also a lot to be said for Trevor Keels and his development. If, if he's able to score and, uh, and sort of get in the right shape to to play good defense. I think that he's also going to to see a, a major opportunity from this. And then even going down onto the bench, Joey Baker, who's who's probably not in the starting lineup early in the season, although it's possible uh, that he will be. I think he's got an opportunity. Jason, I'll I'll let you take this question in a second, but but just very briefly on on AJ Griffin, um, I I'm curious to see sort of how long we get the non-committal answer from the coaching staff on his return, because there will be an element of trying to have the best version of this season for the team, trying to uh, protect sort of AJ's privacy and, and letting him kind of deal with this, knowing that he does have an injury history. And I'm sure he's not happy about having to go through this again. And then also trying to... to pump him up and 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 get him ready for the NBA draft because if if everyone's healthy this year and and he plays you know even close to where we expect him to then he is a he's a lottery pick type talent in this draft so the the staff I'm sure is not is not trying to have him stick around for a second year if they can get him healthy and get him back on the court Duke has obviously dealt with uh, with top guys in the past who have had big injuries, Jason already mentioned Harry Giles, but Kyrie Irving was another one like this where he came in, he was he got a few games in, but then had the injury and, and the team was trying to figure out sort of are we reintegrating him into the lineup and are we getting him healthy for the draft because we want him to be successful in in getting selected high in the NBA draft. There's not a whole lot they can do about how long his NBA career is today, other than trying to protect whatever the injuries are. But I'm sure they're dealing with all of that. And so what I'm wondering is how long will it be before the team commits to, yes, he's going to be out for another three weeks, four weeks, six weeks, what have you. I wouldn't be surprised if they if they string it along a little bit longer than, than they normally would try to. Uh, and, so therefore, I'll say, don't be surprised if we don't see AJ Griffin at all during the non-conference season, and, and and possibly, you know, even close to close to the Christmas break might might be when I would think he's coming back. But Jason, I wanted to throw that uh, that question back to you about the roster and the way minutes may line up with AJ Griffin now on the bench.
2: So, so two things about it about AJ Griffin, and the first one is in response to your question. Uh, this is a, a situation where a lot of guys are going to have to step up because one of the unique things about a j Griffin was given his size, given his abilities, he was going to be able to play probably the two, three, or even the four for duke um and and so when we talk about okay, we're not going to have a j Griffin for a period of time, it's not you know it's not like, oh Trevor keels takes that that role. oh. Joey Baker takes that role. It's multiple guys who are going to be able to take that role uh, and take on those minutes because AJ Griffin's versatility, which was one of his strong points um, is something that you don't have. You're just not likely to have one guy who replaces him. And, and, and I'll even say I've heard some talk that Bates Jones um, uh, it has, has shown out better than people expected. And, and that uh, as a stretch four, he, he may get a little bit of time um, for this team. And so, you know, look, I, I thrilled and excited to have all these guys getting, getting chances, especially early in the season while we figured things out. The other thing I want to mention really quickly um, uh, regarding the timeline that we get and regarding whether or not you know we hear from the coaching staff, oh, he'll be back in two weeks or whatever it may be. Let's be clear. Coach K, <laughs> the cone of silence has always been a staple of Coach K's Duke teams. There is not going to be Um, we're not going to get a ton of detail about exactly what the injury is, exactly how the rehab is going and exactly when he's expected back. We've seen this over and over again from Duke. What's probably going to happen is at some point in three, four, five, six weeks, somewhere in there, suddenly AJ Griffin will, will show up in a game and he'll play five, 10, maybe 15 minutes. And then the next game he'll play five minutes more than that. And then coach K will finally go. Yeah, we think he's fully back, but we're not going to get. I just don't think we're going to get very much in terms of updates uh, along the way. Uh, That just hasn't been Coach K's style for a very, very long time now. You're right
1: in that. And honestly, we have the ability to be patient with this. And, you know, it could be where, you know, that four to six weeks timeline, like you've seen other schools or other, you know, NBA teams or something like that would say, you know, they'll be evaluated in four to six weeks, not they're coming back in four to six weeks for Duke. We've seen this before where they just kind of say, hey, he'll they'll be back when they be back. And I think when it comes to AJ Griffin, we want him back at hundred percent as opposed to rushing him back. And the timelines of numbers kind of makes it where if it's beyond six weeks, people think, Oh, well there was a setback. When there may not have been a setback at all. It just may be how the body is reacting to whatever injury it is and the rehab that, that they're going through. So I think we're in a position here where we can be patient. We can have AJ get all everything back, including the mental uh, state, you know, Health that we were talking about with regards to this particular type of injury. And then from there, when he's 100 percent, we'll see AJ Griffin on the lineup and, and he'll be a great addition to what will hopefully be an improving team at that point.
0: Looking ahead at, at maybe some positive news and, and something that a topic that I know all three of us are interested to comment about. One of the big revelations coming out of ACC Media Days this week is that Coach K has appointed Junior Wendell Moore and Senior Joey Baker as the co-captains for this year's team. We obviously talked extensively last year about the lack of captain leadership, and I know that that when this news came out, uh, a couple listeners, I know K-Man emailed us about this to point out like, hey, Coach K was listening and and now has has uh, appointed some captains for this year. So, Donald, I'll let you take this one first. What do you think about Joey Baker and Wendell Moore getting tapped as captains for this uh, Coach K's final season?
1: Well, I'll say that, uh, again, at this practice, this was a very eventful practice uh, that I was able to attend. Uh, this is when the team was informed that Wendell and Joey would be named captains. And I think one thing about it is, from the inside perspective, as we have seen, because we've been, you know, in, you know, not necessarily inside the program, but we've watched it for a long, long time, is that these aren't the only two leaders on the team. There's obviously going to be guys who are going to be, you know, in that leadership role when one of these two or both are not on the court. And I think what Wendell and Joey have both done from what I've seen is encourage that particularly in practice. They're encouraging guys to talk to each other, encouraging guys to, you know, pick people's heads up and, you know, get after guys if they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing, but in a way that helps them to respond with a better output the next time. And I think that's what it's about. In the end, the leadership, they're going to look to these two first. And again, Joey is is not practicing that much right now. He's, uh, but he's still talking it up on the bench. He's still talking with the coaches. He's asking the coaches what, what they need to do. What more do they want from, from the team? And Wendell is on the floor being a leader. And I think that is, as we all have said last time or last year throughout the entire season, that was missing. And now we have that presence. We have the two guys that can step forward and say, hey, the team performed brilliantly. This is what happened. Or the team suffered because of A, B, and C. That's on us as leaders to make sure that they're ready. We have that accountability. And I think that is what we're looking for. And and I'm really looking forward to seeing Wendell and Joey performance leaders?
2: You know, at the, uh, at the ACC Media Day, Wendell and Joey spoke about, they, they were asked about being the last captains and, and whether there was pressure on that. And, and Wendell was very clear. He said, no, we're, we're, we're doing this because we love to do it and we don't feel any pressure and uh, we have a mission to accomplish. We set goals for this team very early on, very first day, we set goals for this team and we're living in the moment. Um, And Joey said, they're, they're not looking too far ahead or anything like that. They are, they're very focused on getting better every single day. And, um, and coach K said that, that these two guys have been the ones who've been most vocal in practice and that they, you know, they are absolutely unquestionably the leaders that the team, his teammates are the guys who vote on who gets to be captain. And, and coach K said, there was never any question that these two guys would, would be the captains. And to get back to, you know, Sam, how you began this conversation. <sighs> last year, last year was messed up. I mean, I know Coach Kale never admitted, but this whole concept of he had like a leadership council or whatever it was he called it, and not naming anyone formally a captain, uh, I, I don't want to say it was a mistake, but it didn't work. Last year's team needed leaders, and I don't think it had them. Um And I think that Wendell and Joey, who were two of the guys who could have been captains last year, they were two of the most experienced players on last year's team. They probably recognized in looking back on on the successes and more importantly, the failures of that season, that not having a strong voice in the locker room, not having anyone who was the unquestioned leader of the team was something that was missing. And, And my bet is they came in this season Focus not only on their own individual improvement, not only on getting their own skills better, but on being leaders. And so I'm thrilled that, you know, here we are before the season has started and coach K has made it absolutely clear. And the teammates have made it absolutely clear. Wendell Moore, Joey Baker are the guys who speak for all of us. They are the guys leading this team. It's, it it cannot be overstated how important it is to have a good leader. And and I'm I'm thrilled with these two guys. And I, everything I've seen from them so far, I think they get it, and they're going to do a great job at it. And they both, I assume,
0: learned a lot going through everything last year uh, about you know w- what what difficulty the team faces when there is not that powerful leadership voice. And and Wendell Moore in particular, I know, is somebody who doesn't want to be sort of out front, doesn't want to be vocal, but can be a great role model and mentor to a lot of the young players on this team. So I, I, I echo all of what you guys said about uh, about this appointment and, and I'm excited for both of them to get this opportunity this year. I wanted before we get to the break to give Jason a chance to share anything else that he may have heard. Cause he was on ACC media days and he's got, he's got the transcripts uh, you know, for for the most part, I think a lot of what we learn in these quote unquote learn at these media days is stuff that, you know folks like us sort of already know just because we've been reading all the articles and talking to people over the summer and and obviously sharing it with with you the listeners. But Jason, any any other uh, revelations, minor or major, from ACC Media Days that we need to hit on before countdown to craziness this week?
2: Sure. So first of all, the the very first coach, the beginning of Media Day, was Mike Bray in Notre Dame, and his first question, the first question Mike got was about COVID you know, and and having, you know, last year being all crazy and having this year hopefully being more normal. Makes sense. The next three questions to Mike Bray, and I I want to point out, Notre Dame has a senior-laden team. They are expected to be better this year than they have been in several years. There's a lot you can talk about Notre Dame basketball with Mike Bray. The next three questions that Mike Bray got were, each question included the words Shashevsky and Roy Williams. It was crazy. And this happened throughout the entire media day. Every single coach Like the number one topic was Roy Williams has just retired. Coach K is about to retire. Talk about that. And that's what all these – and I feel sorry for some of these other guys. I mean, I'm sure they feel like they are at the pinnacle of their profession, you know, important. They're they're basketball coaches at ACC schools. That is a huge to-do. And it is like nothing. It doesn't matter compared to the fact that North Carolina and Duke are going through major coaching changes right now. Uh, And by the way, Mike Bray had had very you know had very nice things, of course, to say about Coach K. He he pointed out that Coach K has basically been the czar of college basketball for the past 25 years. Someone asked him, you know, oh, what should Coach K do going forward? And he was like, he's already been in charge of this sport for the past 25 years, and I'm sure he will continue that. And then the other really funny. And I just love Mike Bray. I just wanted to point this out. This is a great little moment. He was asked about name, image, and likeness. And he uh, Prentice Hub and Nate Lashevsky were, were there with him, two of his seniors. And he turned to them and he said, you know the great thing about NIL? These two guys just ran a basketball camp the other day. And he said, you guys, you, you each earned 600 bucks from the basketball camp, right? He goes, can y'all, can y'all buy me lunch or something? <laughs> it was a great moment from, from Mike Bray with his, with his players. Uh, in terms of Duke, um, it was Coach K, it was Wendell Moore and Joey Baker, who were all, all three of them were there. And Coach K, of course, was repeatedly asked about his retirement. In fact, at one point, there was a very funny moment where someone asked him about retiring and he said, you know, you don't need to remind me. I may be 74 years old, but my mind is still here. I'm very aware that I'm retiring. It was sort of Coach K's way of saying, you know, guys, can we move on to something else? Because he said, you know, he he does not want to think about this being, his last season, he said, these players deserve for this to be about them, not about me. Uh, I, there was one point, a great line I thought he had. He said, they can't be playing for me. They need to play for themselves. And I, I thought that was perhaps the most important message from Coach K. Um, the last thing I, I wanted to mention from all this was, he said that the fact that he didn't have to go on the road to recruit was a godsend and that he has a better relationship with his current players than he's had with any team in a long, long time as a result. I think he is completely focused on these guys in a way that that ordinarily Coach K couldn't be, and and that is an exciting thing for Duke fans.
1: Jason, one thing that we've heard throughout Coach K's career, but especially this summer when we've been talking about this being his final season as Duke men's basketball head coach, is he's always said with regards to championships, with regards to teams – like he always says, this is not the last season that I have. It's the first season that I have with this group of guys. And he's been saying that throughout the entire summer. Even when people ask him about, hey, you know, winning a sixth championship, he goes, I don't want to win the sixth championship. I want to win a first championship with this group of guys. So he's very focused on that. And I think that's something that uh, is, I know the team appreciates that and it makes them want to work harder to get that, you know, sixth overall title. But I think for him, he's really is focused on, making this season the most successful that it can be for this group that he's going so close to. That he's going grown so close to. And,
2: and, and the big thing about that is, and I think all of us fall into this trap, by the way, everyone talks about, Oh, don't they want to win it for him? Don't we want to send coach K out the right way? All that other kind of stuff. I, I know I've said that. And he's, he says, no, it is not about winning it for me. It is about them doing it for themselves. If they are doing it for me, coach K says, it won't get done. And I mean, look, he's one of the great leaders of all time. I think he probably knows.
0: (laughs) And we will talk a little bit more about about that transition and and the final season after the break, but we are going to take the break really quick. We will be back to discuss a little bit more about coach K and and what his role is going to be at Duke uh, going forward, as well as to Kyrie Irving. So stick around. as we said before the break we need to talk a little bit about uh, coach k and and his statement about where he's going to be uh, next season, not this coming season, but next season in relation to Duke basketball games. Before we talk about that, though, we did need to touch on a bit of recruiting news. So we have been updating you furiously throughout the spring uh, and into the fall now with the series of commitments that John Shire has been able to secure as the incoming head coach of Duke basketball. We have finally uh, put a blemish on his On his perfect record, uh, which to this point had been everyone who's getting an offer from John Shire is picking Duke. Uh, this week that changed J.J. Starling, who is a uh, is a top guard in this coming class. He's, he's ranked in the 30s, depending on exactly which service you're looking at, but he has decided to go play for Mike Bray, the aforementioned Mike Bray and Notre Dame. So uh, Jason, I'll ask you first, what is your reaction to J.J. Starling deciding not to come play for Duke and deciding to go
2: uh, play for an ACC rival instead? I- uh, so I wish J.J. Starling well. I'm not surprised by his decision. He chose playing time at Notre Dame over an uncertain role at Duke. And I, I don't say that to, to disparage the kid in any way, shape, or form. But the reality is, had he come to Duke, he would have been fighting with Jaden Shutt, Jaden Shute. He would have been, you know, derek Whitehead. Uh, it's entirely possible. We don't know. But Wendell Moore and Trevor Keels, Uh, one or both of those guys could be back next year. We don't know how Jalen Blakes will develop. There's a lot of backcourt talent already committed to Duke or likely returning to – and Jeremy Roach, obviously. I didn't even mention it because – but Jeremy Roach, obviously, uh, almost certainly will be back next year. Tons of backcourt talent at Duke. And I'm not saying that J.J. Starling was afraid of the competition, but it is entirely understandable that he would say, I think I'm going to go someplace at Notre Dame where the competition won't be quite as intense where I am more assured of getting to highlight my game and play big minutes. And as I mentioned earlier, Notre Dame going to be really good this year, but that's because they are loaded with seniors. Like literally every single one of their guys are seniors and JJ Starling is, it's hard to imagine that he won't be walking into a starting position at Notre Dame and given a lot of chances to learn on the job. And, you know, if he makes mistakes, play through those mistakes, Opportunities that may not have been there for him at Duke just because of the nature of how the different programs, um, uh, how their rosters are set up. And I want to point out one other thing about this. I think that name, image, and likeness plays a role in this. And... and 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 here's how that plays out. J.J. Starling is the highest-rated recruit Notre Dame has gotten since at least 2013 when they got Demetrius Jackson. And and depending on different rankings that you look at, he might even be higher rated than Demetrius Jackson. This guys it's a big deal for Notre Dame that he is going there. He will be touted as the future of that Notre Dame team. He will get all the name, image, and likeness attention at Notre Dame next year. If you are someone and you want to find a Notre Dame basketball player – to do something with from an advertising standpoint or whatever else it may be, the name, image, and likeness guy you're going to is probably going to be J.J. Starling. That would not be the case for him at Duke. At Duke, he would be fighting for a starting job, fighting for minutes, and probably fighting for name, image, and likeness scraps. That's not to say that the scraps at Duke aren't, aren't, aren't maybe better than they are as the top guy at Notre Dame, but it's it's still a different kind of struggle. And I think that Some of these guys, you're going to see some of these guys who are, you know, ranked in the 30s, 40s, 50s, who might have considered a top tier program, looking at programs and saying, you know what, wouldn't I rather go someplace where I'm going to be the number one recruit, the most highest touted guy, and I'll have more name, image, and likeness opportunities as a result of that than I would at Duke, where JJ Starling would have been at best the fourth recruit. I mean, Duke has three top 10 recruits coming in. At best, he's number four in terms of attention and being touted. Um, At Notre Dame, he is number one with a bullet. So again, wish him well. Um, I I think it's unfortunate that John Shire wasn't able to maintain his perfect record, but it's very understandable that he didn't get this one. And J.J. Starling, to be honest, was more of a luxury recruit for Duke. Um, We we already kind of have his position covered. It'd be great to have him. And, and he may turn out to be better than some of the other guys that we have who are currently here or who we've recruited, but he wasn't someone we needed. He was someone we wanted, but not someone we needed. And that's a very different situation from a lot of the other recruiting that J- John Shire has been kicking butt at so far this year.
1: Donald, any further reaction on, on the JJ Starling news? I mean, it's it's sad to see the undefeated streak come to an end, but I'm glad it's now it is now so we don't have to focus. On immortality and him going, you know, for the rest of his career undefeated, we can focus on uh, other things. But in all seriousness, I think uh, a lot of what Jason said, this is was a luxury kind of pick. It would be great to have him. uh, But I think he's going to do well uh, at Notre Dame. So hopefully he's not Bonzi Colson, because if he is, then I'll really have a problem with this. But uh, (laughs) I think I think he's going to do well at Notre Dame and, and for all the other games that he's playing that are not against Duke. I hope he balls out
2: is Bonzi Colson still playing for, I think he's still playing for Notre Dame. He was there for 19 years, wasn't he?
1: Well, I think he's got, I think because of
0: COVID he gets, he gets like one or three more. Two seasons. extra years. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Two Definitely. extra years. Jason, the only thing to add is, is uh, best wishes to him and uh, hope that he loses to Duke every single time. You know, uh hope he's got a long productive career. I was reading, uh, I was reading in the, in the commitment announcement that he is basically the best uh, recruit that arguably the like the top recruit that Mike Bray has ever pulled in at Notre Dame. If you look, I I was actually surprised to see this when I was looking back through Notre Dame's historical recruiting rankings. Most of the guys that Mike Bray has coming in there are in the like, you know, 80, 90, or even a hundred plus in the, in the recruiting rankings. So, so Mike Bray is not, uh, he he clearly has learned a lot from Coach K, did not take the the elite recruiting gene from him, but has, has clearly made a good career of it. That's been one of Duke's toughest opponents in the time that they've been in the ACC.
2: And it's worth noting that J.J. Starling chose Notre Dame over Syracuse. He He lives in Syracuse's backyard, as I mentioned previously, like he lives like 10 miles <laughs> from Syracuse. And, uh, and believe me, Jimmy Beheim has room for him on the roster and really wanted JJ Starling as well. It's a big recruiting win for Mike Bray taking a guy who, you know, everyone thought if it's not Duke, it was going to be Syracuse. So for him to go to Notre Dame, that's a big win for Mike Bray. Congrats, Mike.
0: All right, another bit of news from this week. Coach K was asked what he is going to be doing next season when he is no longer the coach of the Duke Blue Devils and specifically, uh, is he going to be on the bench or or in Cameron Indoor Stadium for the games. And and the plan, it sounds like, right now, is that he will not be physically in the stadium during the Duke games next season, sort of because he wants to give John Shire a bit of space. And also because it sounds like they couldn't come up with a a logical enough plan that they could like for somewhere for him to like physically be in the stadium with enough security, because everyone's going to want to 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 talk to him and see him in 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 the stadium. And if you've been to Cameron, you know there's sort of nowhere to hide. Even if you are the university president, or if you are some dignitary, even Obama had to when he came to Cameron a couple of years ago. Sort of had to walk like across the floor, uh, and and it was a hole to do just to get him into the arena. So uh, curious what what you guys think about this, Donald. I guess I'll I'll let you uh, start. But we know that Coach K is keeping his office at the top of the Schwartz Butters building, but he will not physically be at the games next year. So how do you feel about coach K's distance from the program after he formally retires as head coach?
1: I think it's, it's fine that he's doing that. I appreciate that. And I'm sure John appreciates that. He doesn't want to be the center of attention in the first year of John Shire's era. He wants to put the light on John and, and let him form the program and not always have to look over his shoulder and see his, you know, Leader, legend, former coach and predecessor standing above him, you know, like like the deity that we have made him out to be at Duke. I think it's interesting that he's keeping his office, though. Uh, I feel like that's part of the is the influence that he can provide. But also, it's interesting to see how they're going to kind of recreate the same type of amenities that that Coach K has now for the next head coach in, in a different office. So that was the interesting part to me, but him not attending games uh, because of, like you said, Sam, all the logistics that would be involved with making it where the focus is not on him. That sounds like Coach K to me. So I'm not at all concerned about that. He did say he was going to be watching games, uh, presumably through, I think there's a like a closed circuit TV that he has set up in his office that can view games in Cameron. So he would be able to watch it there or He'll be like us and watch the games on ESPN and, and ACC Network or whatever you know cable that they have in, in the office. But I think it's it, I think it's a fine thing, and it, it, I think this is not the end of Coach K. I think over the years they will figure out a way to make it where he can come back and be able to participate fully as a fan uh, in the program or, or or however that influence that he wants to uh, impart on it. But I think they'll figure that out.
2: The the only little comment I have on all this is um of course he's not going to be in the stadium in the in the stands for the games it would would be a huge distraction it it would it would look bad it would look like he was you know looking over john shire's shoulder um you know overseeing him like a father figure and i don't think shire needs that at all um we know coach k is going to continue to be very involved with the duke program that's one of the things that he has told recruits it's one of the things he's told players It's one of the things he's told the media and everybody um but but not being in the stadium is entirely appropriate And and the other thing I I would add about it is, you know, it's not like, guys, if we were to look at what Coach K is the best at, what is he great at? He's great at preparation. He's great at motivation. I think he's a really good tactician in terms of preparing the team. I I don't feel like Duke comes out at halftime sometimes and does something completely radically different that changes the course of the game. Uh, you know, not saying that coach K isn't a good in-game adjustment guy, but I don't feel like he, you know, there are some coaches that are kind of known for, okay, they'll tinker with this and that during a game. And coach K is not that kind of guy at all. So having him in the stadium, you know, or potentially, you know, able to, to give Shire advice about, Oh, you know, try this now. That just doesn't feel like a, it's one of coach K's big strengths, not saying it's a weakness, but doesn't feel like it's one of the things that he sort of, known for in a big kind of way and it doesn't feel like it would be at all productive in terms of what John Shire needs to succeed.
0: I honestly think that it's weird that he's keeping the office. Although I assume that the the challenge is that there's just a lot of stuff to move out and it'll probably take him a while to to get rid of it all because from what what I've I've never been in the in coach K's office at the at the top of the campus but uh, it looks like there's just a lot of paraphernalia in there. So he's going to he's going to need he's going to need time to, to, to sort it all out and give away some of it and figure out who's going to take over the spaces. So I guess for the time being, it makes sense, but long-term really doesn't make sense to have a, to have, you know, an emeritus member of the staff kind of taking up the best real estate in the office. I know that I would not appreciate that, uh, sort of as the, as the, uh, you know, corporate, uh, wrench that I am, but, uh, so, so we'll see. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm curious to hear John Shire's thoughts such that they may be, uh, on, on having your old boss whose job you've taken over kind of hanging around and, and being present?
2: <laughs> you, you are never, I repeat, you are never going to get an honest answer from John Shire about how he feels about Coach K hanging around. This is a question that he, A, would feel really uncomfortable answering, and B, does not want to ruffle any feathers of fans, of Coach K, of anybody. You're never, John is going to say, whatever Coach K wants to do, that's what I want him to do. And that may be how John Schreier generally feels, but you're never going to hear otherwise. If he if he has even an inkling of, hey, it's my program now, he is never, ever, ever gonna say that. He can't.
0: Guys, we have a few minutes left uh before I know I know Donald has to run. So just very quickly, as of now, Kyrie Irving is not getting vaccinated, and he's not going to be playing for the Brooklyn Nets as a result. It stems basically from the fact that the Brooklyn Nets play in New York city where you must be vaccinated uh, to go to work. And the Brooklyn Nets are saying no exceptions for Kyrie Irving. So he's going to stay at home while he's under contract to play for the Nets with James Harden and Kevin Durant. Uh, Last season was, was sort of up and down for that team. They dealt with a lot of injuries. They were, they looked like they were starting to click kind of going into the playoffs. It didn't quite work out for them this year. They would have the full season to all be together (sighs) <sighs> Can we all just, like, sigh in contemplation of, of what Kyrie Irving might be doing to his reputation in his career? Jason, you get to go first. What, 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 what do you think about this?
2: Kyrie flat-earth Irving already had a pretty skeptical, uh, or sketchy, I should say, reputation out there among people who, I don't know, believe in physics and science. <laughs> Uh, and, and he's just basically taken any shred of credibility. Not that he had any credibility. It's, he's tossed it in the trash. Um, I, I think this is really unfortunate. Uh, I love watching Kyrie Irving play. Um, I've grown to hate watching Kyrie Irving speak up. And the, the real pity here is that Kyrie Irving does not get enough attention for the great, great, great work he does in his community for needy causes for charities. Kyrie Irving is one of these people who puts dollars and effort. He puts his own sweat behind helping those who are not as fortunate as he is. And it is something that's not gone recognized long enough about him. And now no one is going to care about that at all because he's taking a stand about something—the one of the stupidest things ever on this planet. It makes no sense. Like he's said that he's not getting vaccinated because he's protesting the vaccine mandates that he thinks it's unfortunate that people are losing their jobs over, over refusal to get the vaccine. And he thinks that he's protesting that. I I mean, we don't need to get into a long discussion about it, but he's, he's just being stupid. He's being obstinate. He's being, he's trying to pretend like he knows better than all the rest of us. And he doesn't. And, and I I don't get it. I I mean, I don't want to get into a long, we don't need the three of us all understand the science here. We understand that getting vaccinated is not like everyone says it's a personal decision. It's not a personal decision. It's like not breathing smoke in my face. It's like not sneezing on me when you have a cold. It's not about personally protecting yourself, It's about protecting everyone else around you. That's why we get vaccinated. I mean, you can have selfish reasons and say you're doing it for yourself, but the reason it is mandated, the reason... There are people out there who are saying you must do this or you will lose your job or you cannot come into this workplace or this building or whatever else it may be is because you could infect other people. Kyrie, I don't really care whether you get COVID. What I care about is whether you spread it to other people. And that's what he doesn't understand. And I don't know how you explain it to him. So for me, Jason,
1: I think it's ironic that Kyrie Irvin said that he's doing this to protest vaccine mandates and people losing their jobs over them when he himself gets to keep his and he gets to keep his $40 million uh, and sit at home. A lot of people don't have that option. But the thing about the mandate that people don't have, and I know we're trying not to get political on, a, on something that shouldn't be political, but here we go. This is not a vaccine mandate. No one is forcing you to do anything, but every job has their own set of rules and there is nothing, as the attorney speaking, there is nothing in the United States Constitution that guarantees you the ability to work at a place without following their rules. The NBA has rules. The city of New York has rules. The city of San Francisco has a similar rule, which is why uh, Andrew Wiggins was having to deal with the same thing. He eventually got vaccinated because he said, I don't want to lose $40 million. He has a not necessarily a personal responsibility, but a communal responsibility to respond to this and say, think of everyone around you. Because he's not thinking about the people who have to work in Barclays Center every day, the people who get you know work in the locker room with him and getting everything ready so that all he has to do is worry about playing basketball. He's not worried about his teammates either and what a COVID outbreak could do to their wallets or to their season. This is something where he has to realize that no one is forcing him to do anything, but it is a privilege to work for the Brooklyn Nets. It is a privilege to be an employee of the National Basketball Association. And he does not have the right to say that he can sit out and keep his money and not have to do what the rules say. That's all I'm going to say about that. Rules are rules. If you have it, there are other jobs out there where you don't have to get vaccinated. And if you want to go that route, that's fine. But the NBA has rules. He is deliberately skirting those rules. And as the vice president of the Players Association, he is one of the reasons why everyone out there uh, that there is no mandate on vaccination for the NBA because he's the one that put his foot down and he is one of less than 20 guys who is making this world go round. And I think that is completely unfair to the rest of them who thought about their families, who thought about people who work with them and the people that they're going to encounter on a daily basis and making sure that everyone gets safe, that we could get back to not having masks inside, and doing what we want to do. He's one of the people that is out there making it so that not just he, but other people are preventing that, and that is completely unfair to the rest of us.
0: It is a shame because Kyrie is, as Jason said, does so much in the community. is is one of the players who gives, you know, he gives more of his time and money. To good causes than almost anybody else in the NBA, and and this feels like it's overshadowing all that good work. Not to mention him being a, a fantastic player and a guy who who should be competing for a championship this year and not being embroiled in in completely, uh, you know, self uh, <laughs> self brought controversy. So uh, hope that. Maybe it's someone in the Duke program that, that will talk to him. Someone hopefully will talk to him and, and, and convince him that this isn't the, the hill that he needs to die on. Uh, this is unfortunately the hill that, that gets other people
1: killed. The one thing about the community service aspect, and I agree with you on that. I will say the positive thing about Kyrie Irving is he does a lot for the community. He spends a lot of money. But he's going to get fined every single game that he can't play. He's going to be fined for every practice that he missed. The, that money cannot go to a charity of his choice. He can't use that for his own foundation. He can't use that for the other things that the community is doing because it will be removed from his pocket. And I think he's not even thinking about that either. That's, what's really sad about it. He talks about all the stuff that he wants to do. That's positive. Sometimes you need that money or the time to be able to do it. And he's not thinking about those people either. Those budgets, those volunteers, those, those charitable contributions to his community that he so loves.
2: He's not going to be able to do. From a basketball standpoint, there is a very limited, very special window when you can feel like, I I could really win a ring this year. And when you're a guy like Kyrie Irving, who has won, he won one in Cleveland with LeBron. When you have one ring and you have the chance to earn another one, that's a big deal. That's something where that's starting to cement your legacy as one of the all-time greats. And Brooklyn has that chance this year. I just hope Kyrie doesn't throw away his opportunity to be a part of it because of some foolish, misguided misunderstanding about what's fair, what's right, and what science says. And I don't think he will. My bet is he's going to find a way to capitulate to this and play. And still claim that he was right and that he did the right thing and all this other kind of stuff. I, I, I can't imagine Kyrie's going to sit out the whole season um, because it is so rare and so difficult to win a title. And, and if he comes back, I think there's no question Brooklyn is the favorite to win the title.
0: So hopefully Kyrie comes to his senses so we can see him playing basketball uh, here sooner than later. But in the meantime, Duke has its third ACC football game this weekend. They're playing Virginia. We will be on the lookout for that. We, of course, are excited for Countdown to Craziness, which, as we said, is tomorrow night. Uh, You should be able to to catch that somewhere online if you if you're uh, if you're able and willing. We'll be back again over the weekend to discuss everything we saw in Countdown to Craziness. Not necessary to do a whole lot of preview on that because we don't know what we're looking for yet we will we will react to it and then and then hopefully have some more thoughts unfortunately no aj griffin but uh hopefully he's back in in due course so for jason evans and for donald wine i am sam klein this has been episode 347 of the duke basketball report podcast we'll be back very soon to talk to you all again but until then duke band take us home